Hey, I want to talk for a second before I jump into the message about the offering next week. Um, I, I hope that uh, for the last six or eight months you've been praying about this offering, and I hope that you'll participate in it um, in a way that, uh, that God leads you to, whatever that is. I, um, I want to I just do a really strong ask to you to say, would you pray this week? Um, maybe every day, maybe just taking an hour and, and praying about that offering. Um, the offering, the all-in offering is not so that we can say, whoo, we're great, uh, no more mortgage. It, it really is about the opportunity that we have to channel money that God has already given us um, to ministry in a way that, uh, that we can't do right now because we're, seven, we're sending $11,000 a month to Mercantile Bank. Um, we, we believe with our whole hearts that when that mortgage is paid off, that, that there's going to be opportunities for us here in mid-Michigan, in the United States, and around the world to impact God's kingdom in a great way, to bring lost people to come to know him. And that's why we're, that's why we're doing that offering. $750,000 is, is uh, what we owe, right? I think last month it's 754000 or something like that. It's roughly $750,000. The um, our normal weekly offering is about $18,000. So in order to pay that off, we would need an offering 40 times the size of our regular offering. Um, has anybody ever heard the term BHAG? Big, hairy, audacious goal. That, it's so big that only, that only God can do that. And, and I want to I just tell you up front, whatever offering is next week, if it's $18,000, if it's $75,000, if it's $275,000, if it's $750,000, um, and God's in it, that's all, that's all that matters. But, but here's, here's, what, here's what I want to communicate really from the bottom of my, my heart. People will say to me, oh, do you, do you think you're going to get that offering? Um, it's, not, it's not about me at all. It's about God. It's not about our finance team. It's not about the staff. It's not about the elders. It really is about us as the church. Um, Chris, two weeks ago, said, you know, the church is not a place. The church is not the staff or the leadership. The church is us. And so um, I just, I just want to encourage you. We have a chance to be able to mobilize what God has resourced us with um, to be able to impact God's kingdom in a way that, that just will speed up the process incredibly. Um, and so I, w- I want to encourage you to pray about that and uh, be a part uh, in that in any way you can. For most people, they have um, three different kind of pockets in terms of what they can give from. Uh, people will give out of their regular income. You know, you get, you get paid at work and you've got some money there. That's typically what people give their, their tithes and offerings out of on a weekly basis. Um, for most people, that's one pocket. A second pocket is the money that they have saved, that, that if they're saving, they've got it around, and, and it's there for a purpose, but it's saved. And that's a pocket that you can give out of two. There's a third pocket, and that's the, the, the pocket that you have set up really for investments, for retirement, for long-term stuff. And, um, and I want to encourage you to, as you're praying, to just ask God, you know, which pocket do you want me to give out of and, and what, what that's going to be? Um, in the office, we use a phrase oftentimes that is speed of the leader, speed of the team. I heard that before. That means that, um, that the, the staff is not going to go someplace that I'm not willing to go, um, that, the, that the church is not going to go someplace that we as a staff aren't willing to go. And so I, I just I want to tell you, I, Deb and I are all in on this offering. We're, um, we have taken some stock that we were given for, a, um, for an inheritance, and, um, and, and 
we, we're, we're not, we're, we have channeled that into a way that it's going to be an appreciated gift that comes to the church. If you're interested in doing something like that, I can tell you how to do that. That's, that's a pretty easy thing. But um, it's a, we've never given what we're going to give next week. And it's because I believe with my whole heart. I believe with my whole heart. It just drives me crazy that we give so much money to the bank each month. Um, and we have the ability. God has resourced us to be able to do that. So um, pray about that this week. I'm going to pray right now. All right? Um, God, you are the God of all things. You have all the resources in the world. And Lord, you have entrusted us with so, so much. God, we have incredible homes. We have toys. We have money for retirement, money for college, all, all kinds of stuff. Um, Lord, help us see how, um, how, help us hear from you what you want us to do so that your kingdom can go forward. Uh, Lord, to, together right now, we say there is nothing more important than your kingdom. There's nothing more important than your kingdom. Um, show us how to be good stewards, how to be generous, how to, how to hear your voice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, in, um, in 2009, Deb and I went on a trip with my aunt and uncle to the country of Brazil. It was, uh, it was an incredible trip that our aunt and uncle took us on. And um, while we're on this trip to Brazil, we went, saw Iguazu Falls, we saw the Pantanal, some really cool things there. But one of the things I remember about that trip was that um, we went to a Brazilian steakhouse. Um, when I was in high school, I, uh, I worked at Ponderosa Steakhouse. Woohoo! Flipping steaks, washing dishes, doing that whole thing. And so I'm thinking, oh, we're going to a steakhouse in Brazil. It's going to be like Ponderosa. That'll be cool. It'll have a, you know, a, a Portuguese name. Uh, not so. Anybody ever been to a Brazilian steakhouse? It is this incredible experience because you go in and there's all kind, there's big old salad bar, lots of fruits and vegetables, all that kind of stuff. But at every table, you have a little flag that's there. And if the flag is up, that means that you're ready to eat. And periodically, the, the gauchos will, will come and they'll have this big slab of meat. And every, every time they come out, it's a different piece of meat. And they'll say, oh, you want some of this? And cut some off. So it might be a ribeye, it might be a porterhouse, it might be some salmon, it might be some pork, it might be a chicken, it might be all kinds of stuff. And as long as your flag is up, they keep coming. Yeah. And it, it was like heaven, right? <laughs> you know, um, for all of my vegetarian friends, please forgive me for this opening illustration because I got to tell you, I'm a meat guy, and um, and I just loved this uh, Portuguese steakhouse that we went to. Um, they they just kept coming out and said, "Oh, try this piece of meat," and I and I think oh, I'm full. Oh, okay, just give me a little taste, you know. So they'd cut some out. Five minutes later, somebody else would come out. Try this one. Yeah, you'll like it. Taste it, taste it, taste it. That's been, that's been the theme of this series that we've been in for the, really for the last three months. An encouragement to dive into scripture and to taste God's word. To read some things maybe that you've never read before. I, I know lots of people have said, I never read that before. You know, in my reading, I've never read that section of scripture before. Taste it, taste it, taste it, and see what God has to say in the process. 
If I can, just kind of do a review over the last three months. We started in Genesis doing the sprint through the Bible in 90 days. We, we talked about God creating the world, uh, uh, God choosing his people through Abraham, making a promise to him. And ultimately what, what happened as uh, that promise got lived out to Abraham and Isaac and to Jacob, ultimately Jacob's son Joseph that was sold into slavery, and God took him through horrible circumstances and put him in a position of power so that when the time come, when the time came, God could save his people through Joseph. That was a, that was a foreshadowing event, a type of what would happen ultimately with Messiah. For 400 years, Joseph, Joseph saves the nation of Israel, but it also saves, um, he saves literally the world in this horrible famine that lasted seven years. Um, Joseph, God put Joseph in place to be able to do that. Um, over the years, the nation of Israel grew like crazy, and the Egyptians said they're getting too strong, and they enslaved them. 400 years later, God raises up this man named Moses to lead the nation out of bondage, out of slavery, and Moses became a type of Jesus as well. He came to save the people, to lead them out of slavery and bondage. As we read forward, we read about the, 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 um, the judges as they moved into the promised land, the nation of Israel moved into the promised land, the judges and the kings and the prophets that God called them, God used them to keep drawing them back to him, to keep drawing his people back to him, back into that relationship that he, God had created them to have from the very beginning of time. God used the judges, he used the prophets, he used the kings, he used captivity, and he used silence to set the stage for when Jesus ultimately came, born in incredibly humble circumstances, and, uh, and, and came as the perfect sacrifice, as the Savior who really could, in, at, in one moment, take everything and make it right. Wash all of our sins away. Wipe all of that out. Um, take care of all of the obstacles that were there between us and God. Jesus came to be able to do that. We read about Jesus just a few weeks ago about his life in the Gospels and, uh, and, and how we can know God through Jesus. A couple of weeks ago, Chris talked about the church, uh, particularly from the book of Acts, and said, we're the church. We're the church. We're the church. And God uses his church to impact the world. It's why it's so important to be here, to be a part of the body. Um, uh, today we're talking about the letters, what are sometimes called the epistles. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and take that out. And you might turn and look at the, at the um, index at the front of the Bible. If you've got it on your, on your phone, you can bring it up that way. Today we're going to look at 19. Uh, Chris, Chris talked just a little bit about Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians uh, two weeks ago. But we're going we're gonna to take a look at the next 19 letters that are there in the New Testament. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, uh, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James, 1st and 2nd Peter, 1st and 2nd, 3rd John, Jude, and ultimately Revelation. Chris got a round of applause. You can, can give that up for me or not. Uh, here you go. Um, the thing about the letters, and, and this is, this is the, this is the big picture truth that's, that is all of this week's message. The letters were given to us to teach us what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus. We've to, um, to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus. How do you figure out what that looks like? That's why the letters were written. It's, it's interesting to me that they're, they're, uh, they're 
kind of some broad categories in the letters that it's helpful as you read to, to just kind of know how they fit. Paul wrote most of those letters. Um, and we'll, we'll just talk about, Paul wrote some of the letters to individual churches or a church in a region. So when you look at that in light blue, Paul wrote to the church in Galatia, the church in Ephesus, the church in Philippi, the church in Colossae, the, uh, he wrote to the church in Thessalonica. Those were all letters that he wrote to give specific instruction to a specific church. Sometimes we don't think about that. There was stuff going on in each of those churches, and that's why Paul wrote to them, to describe for them, this is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. This is how you do it. These are the pieces that are so important. Paul didn't just write to individual churches. He wrote to some individuals as well. So the letters to Timothy, to Titus, to Philemon are letters that Paul wrote to individual people to encourage them, to teach them what it looks like to follow Jesus. And then there's there's some epistles that weren't written by Paul. They were written by other uh, by other authors, by James, the half brother of Jesus, uh, uh, by Peter, the, the apostle, by John, the apostle. Those epistles are are oftentimes called the general epistles, um, and and they. They, again, were written to teach us, to communicate, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. Um, the one that's still up there in white is Hebrews. Um, it's kind of its own animal. It was written to Hebrew Christians, um, but we don't exactly know who the author was. We don't exactly know when it was written, but there was stuff going on with Jewish followers of Jesus that needed to be addressed, and that's what that letter is there for. Teaching us uh, what it looks like to live a life fully devoted to Jesus. Um, oftentimes in those letters, there were specific things that were going on that needed to be addressed. And so Paul, while he wasn't with them physically or the, the other authors that, that were communicating truth, said these are things, there are things that are going on. So in the church in Galatia, when you read down through the book of Galatians, uh, the church in Galatia had been caught up by these people who were Jewish uh, followers of Jesus that said, in order to be a follower of Jesus, you've got to become a Jew, because the church had Jews and Gentiles. And they, and so they said to the, to the men, you've got to be circumcised. You've got to obey the law. You've got to do all that stuff in order to be a follower of Jesus. And Paul wrote the letter to Galatia to, to say, no, 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 no. That's not the case at all. Now, that's important that you know that because when you read down through the book of Galatians and you come to the, the verse that says, it was for freedom that you were set free. All of a sudden, it has this, all these light bulbs go, go off because the, these Jewish people were trying to put the followers of Jesus back into bondage, back in underneath the law. That was what was going on in Galatia. Um, James wrote this general letter to followers of Jesus, to, to, uh, to really kind of say, this is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus uh, as a whole. These are some critical things. Um, one author that I've, I've, I've read has said that in the, f- in the first century, that in order to become a follower of Jesus, you had to memorize the book of James, the, the, the entire book of James, because it, it um, capsulized what it, what it looks like to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus. Um, the, the letter that was written to the Thessalonians was written because there were lots of questions about when Jesus was going to come back, what that was going to look like. Um, Paul wrote to Titus, to Timothy, to describe, to, to help them understand how to raise up leaders in the church. 
And in, in the letters to Timothy especially, he, he writes a lot about generational stuff that was going on. He says, you know what, uh, older men, older women, you need to teach the younger women and, and the younger men what it looks like to follow Jesus. You need to be involved in a mentoring relationship with them. And Paul says to Timothy, you know what, don't anybody look down on you because you're young. But set an example in your speech, in, in the way that you live, in the way that you follow Jesus. The letter of Philemon is an incredibly interesting letter to me because it was written, um, it was written about uh, a runaway slave that had become a Christian. And, and Paul is sending word to, the, to this slave's owner to say, here's what, I, here's what it looks like. Here's what I want you to do when this slave, this runaway slave, comes back. Um, written for a specific purpose. The great thing about this is we live in an age of um, technology where there's all kinds of resources available to you. So as you read through the New Testament, as you read through the letters, I encourage you to just take a little bit of time to, to read what's called the background or the introduction to, uh, to each of those letters. Um, if you're working on the U version, you can, the, those, uh, that introduction is there. You can find it there. If you're using a study Bible, oftentimes there's a page or two that will say, this is the context. This is what was going on when this letter was, was written. Jamie mentioned it this morning. Uh, our mission at North Point is to help all people move to a life, all people move toward a life fully devoted to Jesus Christ. Our mission is to help all people move toward a life fully devoted to Jesus. The letters help us get there. They help us understand what that looks like. What I want to do this morning in the message is, is take a look at five passages that I think are, are critical passages. It's a, it's a funny thing to, out of 19 books, say, okay, what do I talk about this morning out of 19 books? Um, and so here, here are really some highlights uh, one time when I was in Colorado, I remember standing at the top of, I, I remember being down at the bottom before we were going skiing and looking up and seeing this, this mountain that I was going to ski on. I thought, this is incredible. This is the biggest mountain anywhere. And I took the lift up to get up to the top. And once I got to the top, there were, there was mountains everywhere. All of a sudden I could see peaks that I had never seen before from the bottom once I got to the top. Um, what I want to do today is, is to just give you five peaks, but once you dive into those peaks, you're going to see all kinds of stuff as you read through the New Testament. Um, five, five, uh, five tastes from the letters that I want to give you today. The first comes from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Paul writes to Timothy, and he says this. Um, I'm going to start in verse 14, but up on screen is going to be verse 16. As for you, Timothy, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. He had learned the scriptures from his mom and his grandma. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. This, this is the truth that's so important. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Bible, man, this is so foundational, so foundational. The Bible is not just a collection of philosophical sayings. The Bible is the inspired word of God. It says that about itself. It is God revealing himself to us. That's why it's so important that we dive in and read scripture, that we taste it. It is God expressing himself to us. It's his revelation. 
The Bible is inspired by God. Don't let your Bible sit on the shelf. Don't let it collect dust. Get to know God as you read through his word. Ephesians chapter 2 teaches a a foundational truth that we've we've got to understand if we're serious about being a follower of Jesus. It says this, It's by grace that you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We're saved by grace, not by works. Say that, if you would. We're saved by grace, not by works. We're saved by grace, not by works. Um, It's so, so critical for us to understand and grasp that. Because it's so easy for us to think, if I just do these things, I'm going to be good enough for God. If I just serve the homeless, if I just read the Bible through every year, you know, if, if, I, just, if I just do this, if I, if I just tell the truth, if I just do these things, if I just give lots of money to the church, we're saved by grace, not by works. There's not anything that we can do that will make us good enough to be in God's presence. It's only that free gift that he gives us through Jesus. Jesus paid the price so that we could be forgiven, so that we could come into the family of God. It's by grace that we're saved, not by works. Every other religion says, you know what, if you just do these things, if you're just kind enough, God will accept you. If you just do these activities, if you just pray this many times, God will accept you. That's not what it is with Jesus. We're saved by grace, not by works. Colossians 3 is a, I want to read a long passage of scripture because I think it describes, it really is kind of a, a great description of what you find in the letters in their instruction for what it looks like to live a life fully devoted to Jesus. This is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. I'm going to read the first 15 verses of chapter 3 of Colossians. Since you've been raised with Christ, since you've been saved by grace and not by works, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. There's the instruction. Set your hearts on things above. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, the old you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now here's the instruction for what to do. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, no circumcised or uncircumcised, no barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. He says, basically, there's no rich or poor. There's no black or white. There is no division that's there. But Christ is all and is in all. Verse 12, 
Therefore, as God's chosen people, the ones who have benefited by being saved by grace, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Do you understand what the letters are all about? They give us guidance for what it looks like, specific stuff. This is the kind of thing that if I'm at the Brazilian steakhouse, that I put the flag down and say, uh, no more food. I just need to eat this one piece of meat for a long time, right? Because the imagery that's there in, the, in, in what Paul writes to the church in Colossians, he says, take off the stuff. Get rid of these things that were once a part of your life and instead clothe yourselves. Put on kindness and compassion, humility. Put on those things. Clothe yourselves with those things. That's what it looks like to live a life fully devoted to Jesus. Being a disciple transforms the way that we live and think. We've said, we've said if you've been around a couple of years, we've, we've talked about our working definition of, of uh, what a disciple is, right? A disciple is somebody who follows Jesus, who's being changed by Jesus, and who's committed to the mission of Jesus. If you're serious about being a, follower, a disciple of Jesus, following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, committed to the mission of Jesus, man, you've got to read in the letters because that describes what that looks like for us. Philippians 2 is another passage that I think is just a key one in the letters. I'm I'm going to start reading in verse 5. It says this, In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Don't miss this. Being a disciple of Jesus means becoming a servant. Paul says to the church in Philippi, you know what? Look at the example of Jesus. Jesus came as a servant, humble, willing to do whatever it took to redeem us. That's what it looks like. That's the model for you. That's, that's what you need to do. If you want to figure out what it, what it looks like in your life to be a follower of Jesus, figure out how you can serve the people around you, how you can serve the people in your home, how you can serve the people in your work, how you can serve the people in your neighborhood. Because Jesus came to serve. He came as a servant. Galatians 5 Another, another passage that I think is critical in the letters says this. I'm going to start reading verse 22, but if you want to go back before that, it, had, it has a similar kind of parallelism to Colossians 3, where it says, uh, here are the deeds of the flesh, get rid of those. And then it says this in, in uh, verse 22 of Galatians 5, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. 
Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Uh, out of the letters, we find out that there is evidence to being a disciple of Jesus. I, I know that seems so silly, but the whole, that whole concept of fruit, fruit that grows when Jesus is living in us, when we're a fully devoted follower of Jesus, it shows in the way that we live. And it shows up as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are the evidences of God doing his work in us. That's what it looks like. One last passage that I want to share. is It's from Ephesians chapter 6. It says this, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Understand this. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you're in the middle of a battle. Disciples of Jesus will experience a battle. Paul says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, principalities, powers, dark forces in the world. If you're serious about being a follower of Jesus, you've got to understand that there is this battle that's happening all around us all the time that oftentimes we're not aware of. And so we've got to put on the armor of God to be ready for that battle. The letters were written to help us live lives fully devoted to Jesus. Hopefully, as, as, as you've read through the New Testament, if you're doing the 90-day sprint or if you've, just, if, if you've read through at a different time frame, that's, that's great as well. But as you've read through the letters, there have been times that you've thought, man, I need to just dive in and spend some time on this particular thing. God's teaching me some things about this. The letters are so important for us. They give us instruction for what it looks like to follow Jesus. The last book in the New Testament is the book of Revelation. It's not a letter. It's a, it's a, it was distributed, but it's, it's John's description of, of eternity. Um, and what's funny is as somebody who's grown up in a Christian family, somebody who, who's grown up in the church, every place I've been, um, people are always saying, let's study Revelation, let's study Revelation, let's study Revelation, figure it out. Um, can I give you my take on it? Um, that's a, that's a great thing to do. Scripture is given so that we can, we can dive in and try and figure it out. But there are four pieces, I think, to the book of Revelation that, that if you read the book of Revelation with these four things in mind, um, you'll have a clear sense of it. Here are the four. God is holy. That's, that's a key truth that's there. Jesus was the perfect sacrificial lamb for us. There is going to be judgment is the third thing, and eternity is real, and it's going to be incredible.
If you read Revelation with those four things in mind, the holiness of God, that Jesus was the sacrificial lamb for us, there is going to be judgment and eternity is going to be beyond anything that we can imagine. Revelation will make a ton of sense. If you try and dive in and figure out what all the different things are, um, lots has been written about that, and, and you could spend lots of time on that, and that's a great thing. But I think that those four things are the key to the book of Revelation. Let me just read a passage from Revelation 21. It's, it's probably my favorite passage in, uh, in the book of Revelation. I saw a new heaven, John writes and says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. The end of Revelation is this. In the end, we win. Not because of anything that we've done. It's by grace that we're saved through faith, right? But because of Jesus, in the end, we win. We win. Um, I haven't been back to a Brazilian steakhouse since we were in Brazil in 2009. Not because I haven't wanted to go, um, but uh, I just haven't done it. It's, uh, it's an experience that I remember incredibly fondly. I look back on and think, oh, the food was so great. That was just such a neat experience. Here's my concern and my prayer for many of you who did the sprint or who have started reading through the scriptures in the last 90 days. I don't want you to look back and say, oh, that was a really cool experience. My flag was up all that time. I was tasting all kinds of stuff. It was great. And to put your Bible back on the shelf to not open up the app on your phone anymore. The whole goal of this series of Taste It has been to get you into Scripture so that now after 90 days, you can't go another day and think, man, I didn't... If you're not reading God's Word, there is this gaping hole inside you because that's how God communicates to us. Um, Don't... it, It would be an incredible shame to walk away from the table undernourished, starving when the food is there. So what's next? What do you, what do, you do now that this series is done? I, I want to encourage you to keep reading. Um, maybe if you finish the sprint, go back to one of those passages, that one of those places that you thought, man, I want to study there some more and dive into that and spend some time every day studying with a laser kind of focus. Um, if you, maybe you haven't finished the, the entire Bible, and, you're, and you're, you're going, and you're slow, and you feel bad about that, don't feel bad. Keep reading, and, and, and work your way through Scripture. Let God's Word get into you, and, and make sense of that. Um, maybe you didn't read the, the, the whole Bible. Maybe you read one section. Let me encourage you to keep going, and read a different section. Don't let the conversation, don't let the habit die in your reading.
Um, an, another option for you, uh, if you've been reading, is to, is to take kind of the next step, which for me is to memorize Scripture. Um, and and uh, I, I've been thinking, okay, what kind of challenge can I give? You know, 90 days to read through the Bible, that's a big stinking challenge, right? Um, let me, let me challenge you, if you want a challenge, to, to, to memorize big sections of Scripture. Let me, let me give you three examples. Anything that's in the message today, if, you're, if you go back through the notes, um, any of those passages of Scripture, Colossians 3, man, that would be an incredible passage to memorize. But let me, let me give you three that aren't there uh, that I didn't read today. One is uh, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Uh, uh, write this down, whatever. Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is the Sermon on the Mount. Um, to memorize the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, that, that would be an incredible thing to get God's word inside of you. Um, another passage, Romans 6, 7, and 8. Um, if you memorize those three chapters, the, the thought process, the core of the gospel is there because it ends in Romans 8 with saying, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing can. Um, my, uh, my father-in-law, when he was, uh, in his seventies, he was, he was sitting in church and the preacher said, I want to give you a challenge. I want you to memorize Romans six, seven, and eight. My father-in-law is 70 years old at this point in time. And he thought I could do that. And over the next six or seven months, he memorized those three chapters I, I remember coming home from, uh, we were living out east and coming back to Ohio and, 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 and Harold saying, yeah, I did it. I said, come on. And, it, and he started, what shall we say then? Shall we, con- shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? No way. Uh, and, and then, uh, and, and just quotes all three chapters. It was incredible. It will change your life. God's word inside you. The, the, um, the third passage that I'd encourage you to think about, that uh, this, is, this is a section that I've done. Um, I mentioned it before. The book of James, um, the, all five chapters, it's very manageable. And man, there is so much in there that as you study and memorize that, in order to memorize it, you've got to internalize the truths that are there. It's the only way that you can memorize it. You can't just do it by rote. It makes sense, and God works in an incredible way when you do that. So mem- memorizing, memorizing it is, is a net potential next step. One of the things that I know that's going on with lots of people because they're in Scripture is that they're being challenged to, uh, to take a step with Jesus. Uh, if that's where you are, let me encourage you to do that to give your life to Jesus, to take the step of baptism. Uh, as Christian mentioned, mentioned a couple of weeks ago, to commit to the body here at North Point, to, to start to be consistent in your prayer life, to pray and talk to God on a daily basis, to join a life group, to, to get connected to the body. Don't let your spiritual growth stop because we finished this particular series. Um, I want to finish with one scripture. It's, I think that the first time in my life I've ever preached a message and had the core scripture be the very last thing I read and never have touched it before. But this is Romans, or Hebrews chapter 12, the first three verses. Because I think that it's the challenge that we need to finish this series. Therefore, since we've been surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, people who've been faithful to Jesus in the past, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, 
the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Run the race. Run the race. Run the race. When I was uh, 50 years old, I uh, decided I wanted to run in a 5K for the first time in my life. Um, I trained, did all the stuff. I remember going to the Y, doing all the thing. And, and the, the best I could ever do, the best I could ever do, was if I got down to about a nine and a half minute mile, um, you know, the, I, I was cooking. I, I was feeling really good about it. So I signed up for this 5K. There's a couple hundred people in this race. Um, it's not very far from our house. It was done with the Y. And we start off, and everybody starts running. And there's like, you know, the people that just go, and are, are by you. And then there are the little kids that run by you, and you think, I'm going to knock their heads off. Um, <laughs> you know. And, I, and I'm running, and my adrenaline's pumping. And I get to the first mile. I get to the first mile. And they're calling out the times. And the person who's calling out the times said, eight minutes, 15 seconds. And I thought, good night, what have I done? I've never run that fast before in my life since high school, probably. And so I'm, you know, I'm, tr- I'm trying to pace myself and go through the process. I got to about the middle of the second mile, uh, somewhere in there. And I thought, I don't know that I can keep going. And, and I, I actually had two goals when I ran the race. One was to not stop. It was just simply to not stop, to, to do all five Ks and, and, uh, and not stop. And I just kept thinking, come on, press on, press on, press on, press on. And I made it. My second goal was to break 30 minutes. Um, and I didn't do that. It was 30 minutes and 20 seconds or something like that. It was pretty close. But, uh, yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. Ten years ago. Woo, yeah. Uh, um, but here's the deal. When you start the race... You can't finish until you hit the finish line. Don't give up. Man, if, if you've been reading, keep reading. If you've been reading and worked all the way through, start to memorize. Do whatever it takes because um, the letters help us, help us understand what it looks like to live a life fully devoted to Jesus. Let me pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the promise that your word has inspired us. <laughs> That, that your word is inspired, that it's from you directly. Um, God, teach us, help us, strengthen us, enable us to live fully for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand together, let's sing.